The following episode was recorded live at SmileCon 2023. Welcome to Dental Dilemmas, brought to you by the ADA Council on Ethics, Bylaws, and Judicial Affairs, and I'm your host, Ansley Depp. We're coming to you live from SmileCon today. Using the ADA's Code of Ethics and Professional Conduct, we will analyze one of the Council's most popular ethical moments. Today's question is posed by Dr. Gunter Jonke, a previous CEDRA member, in a published article from March of 2020. Today's question. A longstanding patient mentioned at her most recent recall appointment that she has chronic medical issues, which have led to frequent hospitalizations. My staff members and I could not overlook the body odor emanating from the patient. It was quite offensive to everyone in the operatory. I performed my clinical examination as quickly as I could because the odor was so unpleasant. My staff members are waiting for me to say something to my patient. So what, if any, are the ethical considerations when addressing the patient's body odor? First, I want to say welcome, Gunter. It is wonderful to see you back today. And this is our second time having Dr. Junkie on our Dental Dilemma. So welcome. Thank you very much, Ainsley. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, what you do, and where you practice? Well, I'm an oral surgeon out in Long Island, New York. Been there about 32 years. We have a group practice with five partners. And we're also part-time teaching at the Stony Brook School of Dental Medicine in the oral surgery clinic, mostly with our fourth-year students and then uh, half a day with our residents doing uh, some IV cases, third molars, a little bit more advanced procedures. I love that. I didn't know that you were teaching. I work in the ER and have to interact with the oral surgeons at my school. So I love that. That's fun. So what encouraged you to write this ethical moment? Did you have a situation happen? Yes, most of these ethical moments come from real-life situations. So we did receive a call in ADA headquarters about an inquiring dentist wanting to know about how to dismiss a patient with severe body odor. And since this patient is in my district, it was called upon me to reach out to this dentist and investigate the situation, maybe find out more of the reasons behind the call. And so we explained everything to this dentist. And at the time, our JADA editor wanted more intriguing ethical moments. <laughs> so Nanette Elster, our ethics co-director, thought about maybe a good topic to have this written up for an ethical moment. Yeah. So that's kind of how it started. It's definitely an interesting one and one that probably has not been brought up before. <laughs> so... What do we feel like are the ethical considerations of informing a patient that they have bad body odor? Yeah, well, there are multiple principles that involve with this case. Number one would be beneficence, the third principle, right? So doing good for the patient, inquiring a little bit more about the medical history and, and what's the reasons behind the body odor. Number two would be non-maleficence, right? Uh, yes. Do no harm. So that may involve reaching out for consultation with primary care or other subspecialties to more uh, evaluate the patient's body odor and, and just help with the situation. And then our fifth principle, just to be truthful mm -hmm. to the patient, right? 
and, and trying to really get to the bottom because ultimately our goal is what the primary care for our patients. So I would say even the fourth justice to be fair and truthful to the patient as well. So four out of the five principles, I think, involve this case. Yeah, and you kind of already answered our next question. Are there any ethical considerations of not informing the patient of their order, which I really think would go to non-malfeasance because then we might be doing harm to them in other ways, too. Correct. Yes. So we all have staff, and I know I've heard this before. How do you balance the subjective versus objective nature of scent? I've had my staff say, I'm not walking in that room. That perfume is way too strong, whereas I may be able to tolerate it. How do we balance that? Yeah, I think smell is objective, Mm -hmm. but it's the interpretation that's the subjective part, right? And each person is different on what their tolerances are to a smell. So it becomes a little bit more challenging to balance the welfare of the staff and the office, let alone the patient. So it's a little bit touchy there. Yeah. Do you have a tactful way to address these concerns with your patient? Yeah, that's always a tough one at this subject, right? (laughs) Yes. So I... Number one, I tend to speak softly, and that brings the patient a little bit closer to me so we're not yelling in the office. And I'll bring them in the private office and sit them down and have some empathy and have a sympathetic tone and and be inquisitive and try to get to the root cause of, of the situation, certainly the smell. And then I'll be quiet and see if they start to engage and open up. So it's a moment that you kind of stop talking, and hopefully they'll engage with you and maybe explain some of the reasons behind the scenes. You're so very well-spoken. I did not know the backstory. What was your suggestion to the dentist who brought up this question? Calling back to the dentist, trying to explain the situation that we all have root cause to dismiss a patient, right, provided we do it a certain way. But this patient had multiple appointments over the years and really never changed the body odor. It was always a concern when the patient came in. Hmm. And they tried to rush the appointment, like we always do, right, when somebody's a little bit more body odor, have it scheduled end of the day so their waiting room is not filled with patients. Yeah, They would double mask, right, hmm. and, and other tricks to mask this odor and never really took it upon themselves to really investigate the cause or at least question the patient. So That's what I tried to tell the dentist, that we have this obligation, right, for the patient's welfare. And we really needed to explore that before dismissing the patient. And I believe we did the right thing. And ultimately, she made the questions to the patient and kept the patient in the office. And it turned out to be a medical condition. There we go. And all is well that ends well. With just a couple of questions. I agree. I think there is a difference if the body odor can be contributed to a medical condition versus just food, behavior related, or even a lack of hygiene. But even in those situations, I still think what you brought up, softness, a empathetic tone can go a long way. Ainsley, the other thing is, as a new practitioner or a young practitioner, do you have the fortitude or the wherewithal to even bring up a question like that. And I think as a senior dentist, many years in practice, you develop this bond with patients and a trust and an honesty to these patients that they will open up to you. So I'm not sure when you're a new dentist, you have that way, right? You can definitely fracture this patient-dentist relationship very quickly by just one or two questions. So it takes very special care 
to bring up a subject like this. It really does. And that's a really good thing to bring up because there is a difference in a seasoned practitioner versus a new practitioner in dealing with these delicate situations. But I do think our code can give us a little bit of guidance maybe to help some of these young practitioners. Yes, that's correct. So would your approach differ if perhaps, like I brought up in the beginning, if the patient had a nice fragrance, but it was too strong? Yes, we do see that in our offices (laughs) as well. And we try to bring it to the patient quietly as well, that patients in the office and even staff members may have some asthmatic or respiratory conditions Mm -hmm. that presensitizes them to uh, particular odors. And once again, bring them into the office, quiet situation. I generally have a staff member with me, so it's not Mm one-on-one. And just touch the subject a little bit. And most often than not, they appreciate the honesty and will reevaluate the amount of lotion or perfume that they put on. I thought this next question was a really interesting question. And I have kind of used the odor when I discussed this next thing. The distinct smell of periodontal disease is one that dentists know very, very well. Would you consider the same approach to discussing this odor as it has a dental origin than other body odors? And I'm curious to hear your answer because I'll tell you what I do with it. Yeah. With this condition, we're looking at certainly the dental health of the patient. We're looking at the x-rays. We're trying to explain the periodontal disease that they have. And as a result, there's a reaction to it. And that may be certainly the bone loss and mobility of teeth, but more importantly, the odor that Mm -hmm. comes from speaking to a patient with this condition. And if we educate and we explain and we speak softly and we make it as simple as possible that we can help them by improving their oral health condition, this odor will dissipate. And here's the other thing that many patients don't even aware that they even have this odor, right? And it's just a way of life for them. And no one's brought it up, right? Because it's a very touchy subject as well. So it's all about education. It's all about reaching out to the patient. And certainly with a good and a strong patient-dentist relationship, I think you can get across to these patients that we're just trying to help you improve your oral condition. And with that, the odor should dissipate. Maybe this will help some of the young dentists out there. What I have found helpful in this situation is to kind of turn it around into a question and ask the patient, maybe I will lay out the symptoms of periodontal disease. And one of the things that I will lay out is a bad taste or bad smell coming from their mouth. And then I will maybe even say, has anybody ever mentioned that to you? But many times I don't even have to get to that question because a lot of them will nod their head and say, is that what it is? Or my wife has told me this. So perhaps for the younger listeners out there, maybe that's a way to broach this subject. Yes. Great approach. And like you said, that most unaware, unless a close family member has Mm -hmm. brought it up to them and they may superficially use the rinses and camouflage But when you explain with a good medical and dental history, there's the reason for that condition. And they tend to wise up and become very appreciative that that you've really made a difference for them, including their family, their close one, their spouse and children as well, let alone their coworkers at work. Right. And that brings up veracity because we are being truthful in that situation. And though it's a delicate, very delicate situation, as we have talked about, we are doing it to help them. We are being truthful for the better good of the patient. 
Correct. So what if this truth could be harmful in the patient-dentist relationship? Now back to kind of the original question. Yeah, yeah, that's a great question, certainly. And with a new or a younger practitioner, and as an oral surgeon, we generally don't have long-term relationships with our patients. Ah, true. And it's usually a first-time appointment. Maybe it's a consultation. Maybe it's an extraction, a procedure, a quick one, and they're off. Do I find the time to explain the situation? Do I want to? Right. Certainly. But it could jeopardize the relationship with that patient and me, let alone my referral dentist. Exactly. And that really becomes touchy. And you wind up tiptoeing through this minefield, potential minefield, when you bring up this situation. And I'll admit, many years as a new oral surgeon, it's in and out, double mask. Don't even bring it up, right? Yeah, yeah. But as maturity and experience goes, and we get to see these patients a little bit over the years, right? Another tooth comes out, whether it's another implant, and we get this long-term relationship. Then there's the trust. And they come out and they'll tell me, thank you. No one's ever told me this. You're the first. And they give you a big hug and a kiss and we make them better. Right. And yeah, that's the glory of this when you really reach out to a patient and make a difference about their oral and overall medical health. And overall health. You just summed it up nicely. That was wonderful. So, Gunter, what does being an ethical dentist mean to you? Well, ethics, I think, is a part of our profession. It's the guidelines that we should follow each and every day. Doing the right thing. Treating patients as if they were your only family members. Do no harm. Be good at what you do. And be truthful. I think those are the life-learning lessons as a new dentist and every day as you operate, if you have that philosophy, then I think you'll have a very successful life. And also, you wind up benefiting yourself, yes. believe it or not, by following the guidelines in our code of ethics, you ultimately benefit yourself. These patients will come back with a passion for dental care, the knowledge that you teach them, oral hygiene care. They will brag about you. They will tell everyone. And as long as the patient's welfare is is utmost in your mind, and I think that's how I would follow the code of ethics as a career as a dental professional. Well, you kind of touched on this, but what advice would you give to a dental student or a new dentist as far as practicing ethically? Yeah, treat every patient as a family member. Mm -hmm. Follow your principles. Have the moral compass where... You can have one option, but is it in the best interest of the patient? So patient autonomy, get them involved. Number two, do no harm. Number three, do good by Mm -hmm. them, right? Be truthful, treat them fairly. I think that's the best advice I would give anybody during school and certainly following graduation into private practice. I tell my students, you're going to sleep better at night when you follow the moral and ethical road, because the integrity that comes with that allows you to avoid burnout and it allows you to go to bed, to lay your head on that pillow, knowing that you did the right thing that day. Yes, very true. Ansley, very true on that. Do you have any final thoughts you would like to share on this topic today? Yeah, I want to thank Nanette Elster for helping me write this article. We had six or seven rewrites, believe it or not. This article was in the 
garbage can and she prodded me along and said, okay, let's rework it a little bit. And we reworked it eight, nine, ten times, but she was persistent. So we did the final edit, we ship it out, and the editor comes back with nine rechecks. Look over nine points. I was like, I thought we were done. <laughs> so I credit Nanette Elster for her tenacity in getting this published. Without her, we wouldn't have this article. Just a couple final words. Potter Stewart's quote on ethics, a former Supreme Court justice, once said that ethics is knowing the difference between what you have a right to do and what is right to do. Mm -hmm. Amazing quote. And I always like to add at the end, when no one's looking, when no one is looking, do the right thing. Anyway, I thank Ansley for inviting me. The Council on Ethics, Bylaws, and Judicial Affairs, it's a wonderful opportunity for me to speak to you and your audience. Thank you very much. Thank you for being here. A final note about this episode. Please see the show notes for a link to the original article and stay tuned for future episodes. At the close of this episode, continue with listening to hear the sections of the ADA Principles of Ethics and Code of Professional Conduct pertinent to the original Ethical Moment article. Thank you so much. This article discusses four sections of the ADA's Principles of Ethics and Code of Professional Conduct. These sections are as follows. The first principle, non-malfeasance, or do no harm. The dentist has a duty to refrain from harming the patient. This principle expresses a concept that professionals have a duty to protect the patient from harm. Under this principle, the dentist's primary obligations include keeping knowledge and skills current, knowing one's own limitations, and when to refer to a specialist or other professional, and knowing when and under what circumstances delegation of patient care to auxiliaries is appropriate. The second principle is beneficence, or do good. The dentist has a duty to promote the patient's welfare. This principle expresses the concept that professionals have a duty to act for the benefit of others. Under this principle, the dentist's primary obligation is service to the patient and the public at large. The most important aspect of this obligation is the competent and timely delivery of dental care within the bounds of clinical circumstances presented by the patient, with due consideration being given to the needs, desires, and values of the patient. The same ethical considerations apply whether the dentist engages in fee-for-service, managed care, or some other practice arrangement. Dentists may choose to enter into contracts governing the provision of care to a group of patients. However, contract obligations do not excuse dentists from their ethical duty to put the patient's welfare first. The third principle is the principle of justice or fairness. The dentist has a duty to treat people fairly. This principle expresses the concept that professionals have a duty to be fair in their dealings with patients, colleagues, and society. Under this principle, the dentist's primary obligations include dealing with people justly and delivering dental care without prejudice. In its broadest sense, this principle expresses the concept that the dental profession should actively seek allies throughout society on specific activities that will help improve access to care for all.
The last principle is the principle of veracity or truthfulness. The dentist has a duty to communicate truthfully. This principle expresses the concept that professionals have a duty to be honest and trustworthy in their dealings with people. Under this principle, the dentist's primary obligations include respecting the position of trust inherent in the dentist-patient relationship, communicating truthfully and without deception, and maintaining intellectual integrity. Remember to keep ethics at the forefront of your daily practice and stay tuned as Steve Judd decodes more dental dilemmas. <music>